0: This is a news update on University of Portsmouth Research, brought to you by Life Solved.
1: I'm Sophie Wagstaff from the Media Team, and we're here today to talk a little bit about disruptive technologies. I'm with Dr Giovanna Radulovic from the School of Mechanical and Design Engineering. Giovanna, I know absolutely nothing about this, so my first, my opening question is, what exactly are disruptive technologies?
0: So disruptive technologies, as their name suggests, are innovations which disrupt an existing market and they often lead to creation of new ones. Disruptive technologies tend to be new systems which have a superior performance compared to previous ones and as such they offer a number of advantages. The problem is that disruptive technologies are fairly risky and established companies tend to focus on so-called incremental innovation. That being said, disruptive technologies have made our life and society what it is now. Back in the day, a car or a television was considered to be a disruptive technology. And nowadays, that disruption is normally associated with artificial intelligence, uh, virtual reality, Bitcoin, things like that. Disruptive technologies in the concept of energy systems are very exciting and they feature in the government net zero innovation portfolio. So such systems are expected to lead the innovation across the energy sector and one of those technologies is space-based solar power.
1: Ah, Okay, so I know today we're going to specifically talk about solar-based space power. Could you please just explain that to me as well?
0: So space-based solar power is a concept whereby we would harness the solar energy in space, uh, specifically in a high Earth orbit, and then transfer it onto Earth. It is a a very new concept, and until recently, it it used to sound like science fiction. But nowadays, this is something that is deemed to be technically and economically feasible. A space-based solar power design would feature a solar power satellite, this is a massive spacecraft, we are talking kilometers across, which would be equipped with, uh, with PV panels, similar to those that we have on Earth, which would then gather that solar energy and transfer it onto an antenna on earth so that transfer is obviously more complex than it sounds we are effectively talking about wireless transmission via high frequency radio waves and once they reach the ground antenna they will be converted into electricity and fed into the grid and obviously such a system would be equally clean and effective as the terrestrial solar systems we have on Earth. But being in space, this would be a continuous electricity supply across day and night, all the seasons, all weather conditions throughout the year.
1: Wow, it sounds amazing. And do you think it's realistic that this is going to help us achieve net zero by 2050?
0: Well, what has led UK governments and other governments and other industries to consider this as a worthy solution are actually a couple of factors. So more recently, key technologies like that wireless transmission, concentrated PV systems and space robotics have started to mature. So we understand these technologies better. In recent years, we have seen the cost of a commercial space launch constantly decreasing, and that is expected to continue. The solar power satellite is expected to have a modular design. So what that actually means is that a huge number of smaller elements will be produced and then assembled in space. So that will drive the cost, but more so that volume of production is meant to achieve even lower production cost as well. I personally think that the big driver behind this idea is the necessity to address the climate emergency and reach the net zero by 2050.
1: And Giovanna, is there anything else you think we can be doing to try and achieve net zero? I know obviously COP26 is happening at the moment, so what else can we be doing, members of the public, to try and work towards this target?
0: Well, there are lots of things that need to happen for, for net zero 2050 to be a reality. In years and decades to come, it is expected that big changes need to take place if we were to reach that target. And some of these changes will be led by the government, by through different investment policies. Some of those may even become laws. But what is important for us as as humans and members of society to recognize is that we will need to play our part and that means that we may need to change the way that we live our lives. And behavioral changes associated with, uh, with climate emergency can decrease carbon emissions up to 75%. So these changes can be reflected in, for example, electric vehicles or changes in various industries in terms of decreasing emissions and investing into more efficient energy systems. What is essential is that any plants put in place. They must be ambitious and they will require significant investment and commitment. Net zero is, is long overdue. We see devastating consequences of climate change anywhere around us and uh, we really need to act immediately.
1: And do you think, Giovanna, that people are going to accept these behavioural changes? Do you, is that something that you can see being a realistic goal?
0: Uh, absolutely, and uh, the recent analysis shows that vast majority of, of British public strongly supports these behavioural changes. I think that everybody really wants to play their part and help the environment, but it is really important that we keep that momentum, and of course the pressure is on the government to facilitate a, an effective transition to these novel energy systems.
1: What are we doing at the University of Portsmouth? What research is going on here that is working towards this goal?
0: I'm personally working on a couple of projects which are related to decarbonising the energy sector. I'm involved in a European project associated with wider implementation of solar energy systems, mainly PV technologies across Western Europe, mainly in in the channel region. We are also working with a local company which has patented a novel compressor design which operates on environmentally friendly working fluid and it has better efficiency and lower noise levels. There are various other exciting projects. Colleagues in the school are working on development of sustainable materials. Of course, we've got a very well-known center for enzyme innovation looking into decrease of plastic use and then how we deal with that plastic waste. And there are interesting projects associated with hydrogen, which is another, innovative disruptive technology that can decarbonize the sector.
1: I know we spoke when we met recently about heat pumps and heat pumps versus gas boilers. And I know that you are very knowledgeable about that. And I just wondered what your take on that is.
0: Absolutely. My personal opinion is that we should have embraced this technology significantly earlier, and uh, this is the step in the right direction. The 5k grants government is offering, it's a good move. However, the the public needs to familiarize themselves with heat pumps and the benefits that they offer, and they really are, are fantastic and very energy efficient, but we need to be Honest and accept that there's simply not a solution applicable to every single house. Mm-hmm. In some houses, there simply won't be enough indoor or outdoor space for heat pump installation, and it's important that we look further across what the new portfolio of energy systems has to offer. So for, for small homes where sizes is, is a consideration or flats, electric boilers could be a potential solution. And of course, in any new buildings and dwellings, I really think that heat pumps should be a must.
1: Thank you very much. If you'd like to find out more about what the University of Portsmouth is doing to take action on climate change, please visit www.port.ac.uk forward slash climate change.